Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That is well, this. <laughs> for those at home don't know, Mike fucked up the intro. Our guest today is Dopey Dave. Dopey Dave was with us in the beginning intro that Mike fucked up, and now Dopey Dave is gone. So, I'm like, oh, I gotta go take care of my kids. Hold on, I gotta go put the clothes in the drawer. Yeah, he 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 lasted ten seconds with he us. He lasted ten <laughs> seconds on "Don't Die." <laughs> That's enough of this shit. <laughs> yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go. My kid needs me. So Wait, I, need, I need some help. And I thought we'd have we'd do a podcast because there has been so many friends that have died, and. And it, so it's not like this flip thing. Like I've, I've, I tell this story, like I've, I've had to call the parents to tell them their kid is dead. And some right. of them howl and some of them cry. Some of them are angry at me and some are just silent. There's just silence on the end of their phone. There's one guy I'd call and tell that his son had died. Um, there was just silence. And then he said, Bob, I'm going to have to go. I'll call you back. Oh, so, yeah. so the death of these 71,000 people in, in 2019 from drugs are not, I, I want them to be as thought of as the deaths of the coronavirus victims. And, and they are human beings, every single one of them. And two years ago this week, we lost a really dear friend of ours, Chris from Dopey. And I was his counselor in 2004, I think. What a nutcase that guy was. <laughs> <laughs> and Chuck, who do we have Chuck, on? Chuck, we have Dave. He's back. We have Dopey Dave. Is he there? I'm here. I'm here. Dave, we're, welcome to the Don't Die podcast. And we are here right jumping into it. The celebration of your man, Chris. It was two years ago this week, right? Yeah, it was two years ago on Friday that he died, and uh, it totally came out of nowhere for me. I mean, I had no clue. I actually went to his parents' house last week uh, for the first. I saw him for the first time since he died, and uh, it was a trip because I went out to where me and him used to record to see them and and talk to them and stuff. And it was how are crazy. they doing? How are they doing? They're not doing good. I mentioned you, Bob, though, and they remembered you, and they were yeah. they remembered you from Encinas, Las Encinas, yeah, Las Encinas, yeah. And uh, they didn't even know about any other aspect of you, or you know, oh wow. Your, but they knew you from as a as Chris's counselor from Las Encinas, yeah. And I told <laughs> and I told and I told them how you come on which the show, which can be good or can be bad depending. <laughs> for, for them, it was good, and and they okay. were they were they were just so happy that you took such an interest in him and Dopey and and for his legacy. It meant a lot to right. him. And Chris is gone, but they're still around. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 they, the pain that they have. They're older people. Chris was their youngest son, and to look into their eyes, you see Chris. You know what I'm saying? They look right, they both right. look like Chris, and they're just fucking shattered. You know, it's it's crazy, crazy. Yeah, and I just, I, just to personalize things, Chris was one of those addicts that was, he reminded me of so many of my friends that I don't want to mention because they get mad when I talk about them on the podcast, but he had that spirit of like, 
craziness and anything's possible. And you never even knew if half the shit he was saying was true or not. And it was yeah. just like always larger than life and always crazy, you know? And he, he was at my hospital for about five months, I think. And he'd Jeez. go from one, one unit to the other. He was just, he was unit shopping because it was a psych hospital. It had like eight different units. I don't think he ever got into the adolescent unit, but he might've been qualified <laughs> for there emotionally. Right? But he'd go from the lockdown psych ward to the psych, to the dual diagnosis unit, to the, to the depression unit, to the CD unit, to the RTC. And I don't think he ever made it to outpatient. He just kept switching chairs inside Los Encinas, but he was so fun. Even then at probably what was probably his worst and most junky and all that, he was just fun. You'd see him from across the, you know, the, the gardens. This hospital was just amazingly beautiful. And you'd see him and you'd just laugh. He's one of those guys like, you know, Mike Martineau's, like every time I see Gary Tovar, it just makes you smile. You know what I mean, Mike? One of those people that just makes you smile. Keith Morris is like that. Every time I see him, it's just like, oh, my God, he's so crazy. Chris had that energy like that makes you smile when you see him. And here's the other thing about Chris. It's not somebody you would ever want to be roommates with. It's just somebody that you like <laughs> from an arm's distance. And he was full, so full of life. And two years ago this week, he passed away from drug overdose. And, and, yeah, and he's a, he was an amazing human being. See, I think this thing about when drug addicts die, it's always the negative side and they were in 20 rehabs or they were suicidal or they never had a job or any of that all that boo-hooing of the sad side of addiction but they were also amazing fun interesting intellectually curious people that never gets talked about it, it's strange well you know but it's taken a long time for me it's even just been the last couple of years where i've started seeing that i wasn't all bad no you weren't during that time well, that's you what know, AA the, the, teaches you. Don't get me started, well, Chuck. <laughs> I, I will, I will. Because, because I think everybody we're talking to right now owes their life to AA. I mean, at least uh, I, I know I do. Um, so but it's, it's, like also, the, uh, it's also very shame-based. And, and I'll give you an example. And Dave, I think I talked about this on Dopey one time. A guy I was sponsoring who's like an intellectual kind of, you know, progressive thinking guy. Uh, I was sponsoring him for about three years or something, and he goes, hey, when are we going to ever sit down and take a look at my uh, good characteristics, my good qualities? And I said, what the fuck are you talking about? And he, goes, and he read out of the 12 and 12, no good shopkeeper would only take stock of his bad inventory. You should also make a list of your good qualities. And I was like, what page is that on? I'd, I'd been in AA for 20 years. I'd been in AA for 20 years. I had done the steps four or five or six times, and no one had ever suggested that a junkie alcoholic has any good qualities that you should make a list of. And I said, oh, my God. And I read it, and it's plain as day. It's right in the 12 and 12. And I was like, holy fuck, I've never done that. And he goes, well, obviously I haven't. You're my sponsor. <laughs> and so, so I said, why don't you make a list of, of it? And I'll make a list of mine and we'll sit down and read them together. And about six months later when he was in L.A., we did it. And um, it was a hard list to write. It's hard. It's easy to like own your shitty, shameful things. It's hard to 
own your good qualities. And I think AA shies, shies away from thinking of yourself as intellectually curious, as a positive, as, as you know, just a force to be reckoned with and, an, you know, just a wonderful entertaining renaissance type person and, and oh well th there was that one time that i decided not to rip you off <laughs> That's, I, see there you're so brainwashed by it mike you can't even think you're an, you're a beautiful touching brain. amazing at the depths of your addiction you were the most touching wordsmith songwriter i had ever met so but you got to jump to you have to jump oh, well. to i was a junkie and i stole actually you never Hold stole on. let me put that mike, on my list mike martin never stole anything from me i didn't have anything no. to steal i was always watching you but why that you know of. but and so dave uh, you know i think that you know what i'm talking about because there's a lot of negative stuff about chris you know going to treatment so many times and he was he was pulling out of that and starting to see himself differently right and then he unfortunately went back to drugs and died like well i mean the uh the thing about chris was that his positive attributes were so much more important than his negative ones and you can see it in the fans like people live for this guy and, and that he just charmed people and they never even saw his fucking face they just heard his voice they heard how disarming he was how smart he was how funny he was how he was nuts but the thing about him that was so great was he was crazy in the most sane way. Like he understood how he was not conventional because his, his family was so conventional. So when he told a story about like being in a, a, a psych ward or in a brain trauma unit masturbating next to some crazy skinhead, <laughs> it, it just somehow it came across like not whacked out, but just super funny. And, and also... His warmth, his warmth was just the biggest thing. Like he, he just cared about people. Like, like I'm in touch with a dude who, who's uh, still a big listener of the show. He's a guy who, uh, in the winter time, he dove headfirst into a pond, and the pond was still frozen, and Yikes. he broke his neck. His, na his name is. His name is Brian, and he calls himself Hot Wheels because right. uh, he's in a wheelchair. And he's a great dopey fan. And I remember me and Chris were doing the show, and it was one time we took a call, and we took a call from this guy, and he wanted to use. And Chris talked him down in just the most beautiful way. And um, everybody loved Chris. You know what I mean? Like, he was that guy. Yes, his stories were insane. Yes, he'd been to 15 treatments. Yes, when he straightened up, he wore fucking khaki pants and Brooks Brothers shirts because that's oh, the kind of guy he I was. I hear that. Let's not talk about him like but that. But he could still he be funny. He could be, he could be funny dressed like that. He was funny like as that. hell. He was funny <laughs> as hell. I didn't even know what, I didn't even, I never even knew what a Brooks Brothers shirt was. I was like, Chris, what is this logo on your shirt? And he goes, this is Brooks Brothers. And I was like, I can't believe that's you. But it was him. But he was, I mean, like, man, like, I was so pissed off when he died, and, and I'm still angry about it, because he died five weeks after my best friend died, and he knew that my best friend OD'd, and when I heard that Chris OD'd, I was fucking, I didn't believe it, and then I was angry, right. and like, and then I, then I got sad, and now I kind of vacillate between a lot of different emotions, and I'm not done with the anger, but... 
it is undeniable that he actually left a legacy and that that legacy is worldwide that people start. I mean, I was saying that to his parents, like somebody's going to start listening to the first episode of dopey. And for 143 episodes, Chris is going to be very much alive, 142 episodes. And they're going to experience Chris as Chris was. And that's an amazing thing. And, And he helped people, you know, and he never thought he could do that. And he did. And, and I, I mean, I'm so grateful that I got to be so close with him. That's the other, the most magical thing about Dopey. Forget like the downloads or the concept or whatever, or the name. It, it was the fact that the show, like me and Chris were never close until we started doing Dopey. Where'd you, and where'd you guys after, meet? At AA or where? We met in rehab. Oh my we God. met at rehab. <laughs> we met at Mountainside Rehab in Connecticut. And Chris was the kind of guy we would spend a day together, like a whole day talking about girls and heroin and 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 ODing and seizures. Oh, positive, and then I, yeah. and then I wouldn't see him for three days because he wouldn't leave his room. And then at like four <laughs> o'clock, four o'clock. First of all, when I got to treatment, he had been there for like four months, and it's a twenty-eight day program. I know, he's a king. You know what I'm saying? He's a king of staying in rehab. I I don't know why he liked it so much, but he loved Los Encinas. He was there for months. He was like the white version of the big chief and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> the dude was just there. You know what I mean? And and uh-huh. he would like hide out in his room for five days and then he'd come out and then you were friends again. And, uh, and, and I talked to him maybe 20 times over the five. It, we met in treatment in 2011. And, uh, and then we started Dopey in 2016. And maybe three times a year we would talk. And then he, I had made my little web series about Katz's, and he was like, I want to do something. And I was like, okay, let's, let's do something. Hey, what can you do? And he's like, well, I've got crazy drug stories. And I was like, me too. And I was like, let's do a podcast. <laughs> got to be some money and, in uh, that. Well, it was for the Not fun. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was for the total fun. And the, again, the most beautiful thing about Dopey is that when we started – we talked every day from the day we started till the day he died. And before that, we probably talked 20 times. So the show was a physical uh, record of our friendship. And that's amazing. You know, that's an amazing thing. He was, he, was, he was just a fun guy. And he reminds me of a lot of fun guys and gals that I've known that are dead. And I just want to remember people for how full of life they were and not like, oh, better him than me and all that kind of nonsense really yeah right so dave, right. do you dave do you keep in touch with his girlfriend that was at the time i i talked to her a couple times a year um yeah. she's a she's a surgeon in boston she graduated from harvard medical school um and she's got a boyfriend and she's carrying on with her life and yeah. she misses chris because it's a weird thing and they never got to break up she found him right. you know what i mean they never broke right. up and like she, she'll always love him, and whoever else is in her life is going to have to compete with his ghost, kind of thing. You know, it's not. What is Chris's dad's li- dad like? Chris's dad was a very is a very he's an older guy. He's probably in his late seventies. He's a he's a very successful uh, realtor, and he owned like factories in Massachusetts and shit. Yeah, yeah. And, he uh, obviously could pay for a lot of rehab. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of rehab. A lot of rehab. A lot of Brooks Brothers clothes and rehab. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, 
But he's a funny dude. I was talking with him the other day, and he goes, Chris was a strange guy. And, and Chris's dad has this weird, old-timey Boston accent. So it's like <laughs> almost English, but it's also very Boston. And he's just like, Chris was like his youngest kid, and Chris was a fucking weirdo. And his dad was not a fucking weirdo, although his dad has been in recovery, I think, 30 years now. Wow. So oh, that's man. interesting. You know, he's an old-timey huh. Boston Irish Catholic alcoholic and and chris was like a fucking coke shooting heroin shooting alcoholic and and it was a little bit hard for him to relate to his son but he knew how bright his son was and he loved his son and his son loved him it's a great it's one of those things those 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 kind of that generation of dads and sons there's a great story by dan fonte about john fonte his dad the great writer john fonte and you know John Fonte is that old Italian New York City guy, same as the bot. There's all these stereotypes of that generation of people, of, of, of men. And so he couldn't understand his kids at all. They all grew up in Malibu and they're all like going to prison for drugs and all this kind of crazy shit. And Dan Fonte, who just passed away year, last year, year before last too, did this beautiful thing. He had been to prison a couple times and he got out and he was always, he was the worst of several Fonte kids, right? And in the end, when his dad was dying, he loved this dog. He wrote a book called My Dog Stupid um, about this dog was the only thing that he really cared about. His kids were nutcases and hated him and hippies and drug addicts (laughs) and whatever. So he had this dog and Dan went to his house in Malibu on Point Doom got the dog and brought it to Cedar sinai and snuck it up the back stairs and got it in bed with his dad and right right as john fonte was dying and it's one of the most beautiful redemption songs about being an addict and making it right with your dad and and you know i think chris had already done that and then this death suddenly out of nowhere it's just crazy yeah right yeah that's another thing his dad was saying. He was like, we thought we were in the I know, clear. I, I he, said, know. he said, we thought, we, and I'm sure you hear yeah. that all the time. I'm sure you all hear that all the time, mm. working with, with addicts and their parents. You get four and a half years, and you think the kid is, is home free. Yep. But like, but he's in, I mean, his dad was in recovery, and it's a one-day-at-a-time thing. And, yeah, but the thing about Chris drugs was, and alcohol, I mean, I, you know, I, you can't die from, you know, even drinking a fifth of vodka, you can't really die. Right. You can die from one right. accidental snorting of what you think is heroin and it's fentanyl. So that's why this death rate is so skyrocketed, right? And it's interesting mm-hmm. that we kind of lump them together and, and the program of recovery is the same. I don't know. It, there's something very daredevilish and almost suicidal about going back to heroin like i i never think about it i i just was i'm scared of heroin i'm scared of it you know i'm not scared of alcohol ironically (laughs) so you you develop a healthy fear for drugs and alcohol maybe it's an na that says that i don't know there's one of them (laughs) it's one of those books i've read a few of them yeah no yeah i think i think alcoholics have a healthy fear of alcohol but it's not a deadly fear like like drug addicts should have and we that you know for the most part this whole generation of millennials and gen z's they don't have it they're not scared of dying 
I was always very conscious that I didn't want to die. That's why you... That, that's a huge difference. That's why we can't get in their head sometimes to be able to talk to them. When they're sitting there going, I got to go because I've got 40 bucks in my pocket. And we're going, but it, it, it might be your final high. Well, that's okay. I didn't have that thought when I was getting motivated. So if you, if you think about what one. motivated, like through all my trials and tribulations, and I was homeless, you know, not homeless, but like staying at drug dealers' houses and drug houses and sleeping in cars and whatever for about a year and a half through all that i i knew like i I'm, there, maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel and i knew if i could get off drugs i would have the life that i have i'm sitting here right now outside my house i don't think millennials and gen zers ever think they could have a life like this i don't think they think that so to them there's no tomorrow and there's no future and there's no they truly are like this nihilistic kind of oh i'll never have that or they don't even want that they don't want to have a house they don't want to have a family i don't get it i, I just can tell you that chris was a throwback to an, a type of addict that i understood and i could c c communicate with and i could try to help or try to support or whatever and there's the new generations are just really it's like puzzling to me because i don't think chris wanted to die but he didn't have a healthy respect for drugs, obviously. No, definitely not. I mean, we talked about it for years where he would say, oh, it's a good thing we weren't doing dope when fentanyl was around or we'd both be dead. He would, he would say that constantly. And we, we both would say that we didn't think drugs could kill us. Me and Chris would say that all the time, all the time. I remember I used to take these ridiculous shots and I – and I never thought I could die, except one time where I kind of hoped I would die, and I didn't yeah. die. And I was like, I guess I, I guess I can't die, you know. And I remember, <laughs> I remember my my last relapse. Um, I was taking pills, and I was taking a bunch of Percocet and and Xanax and shit. And I, and I, and the Percocet kind of gave me that feeling. And I was like, what am I doing Percocet for? Maybe I should do heroin again, you know. And I called up my dealer and. Uh, and I had money, you know, and I, I paid for my dealer to take a cab down to the Lower East Side w to sell me a bundle um, and Just bring me $10 syringes. Worth? I, no, 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 fucking a hundred dollars. I paid for the cab, and I and I, I think I got a decent deal. Whatever. He came over. He puts a pistol on my coffee table. He gives me the bags, and I hadn't done a bag of dope in like two years. And I shoot a bag, and I'm like, this shit is bullshit, man. And uh, and I shoot two more bags. And it hit me so hard, I thought I got, like, raped by the devil. Like, I had never gotten so sick. It was, like, overdosed without falling out. Like, it was just too oh much. My. And I got so sick, and I was like, I'm never doing this again. I never want to feel like this. It's too much. I, I can't take it. It was, it was just too much for me. And that was the last time I ever did dope. And it was like, it was like I wanted to love it, uh, but thank God I didn't. You know what I mean? And that was it. And And... And I think with Chris, what it was, he had gotten an injury and his life was so fucking good. He had this beautiful girlfriend. He had just finished the master's portion of his PhD. He worked in a, a sober house in Great Barrington. He was a fucking sober companion in Texas making good money. And, and he had dopey and he had, and he had a beautiful apartment. And I think what he felt was, I'm a success. I want to feel this success and get high. And he didn't think that it could kill him, you know? And right. I think that's what happened. And the fucked up thing, the really fucked up thing, is that <laughs> there's, his there's sister... There's something more fucked up than that? 
<laughs> yes. No, this is really fucked up. It'll send chills down your spine. Is that his sister runs some kind of like yeah sober companion check- thing, right? Yeah, and they were they, he was a client for years, and they thought he was using. So they tested him on Sunday, and he died on Monday before they the could, test they came could back. Confront him! Oh, oh my god! So like one day more. I mean, he probably went to fucking town on Monday morning. He texted he, me the day yeah, he, he died. Knew, he texted he me knew the jig was up. Yeah, if it was it was up. If it wasn't fake pee, I, I wouldn't trust get him. Last, get a last good one in, and it was just too good. That's just sad. Yeah. Now, that Bob, it came back. Sad. It came back positive for everything. It did. Should, it, why would it, he? Yeah. Why everything. would he not do uh, whatever it was called? Uh, the wizinator, the wizinator. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because the Barbie doll penises are ridiculous; <laughs> they don't look right. I, I, I just, I would, I don't know. I, I, I did testing at this place, Pasadena Recovery Center, for years, and I, I suspected that some of them were fake. But what are you going to do in that case? You're going to like touch it or go, hey, turn around, let me see that. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I just, that's a bridge too far for me, Chucky. That's a bridge you too hit it, far. You hit it with a pencil. You hit it with a pencil, and <laughs> if it makes a sound, <laughs> Chuck, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Chuck, Chuck, are you hitting him with the pencil? Uh, yes. Is that what's happening? <laughs> that's, I'm that's serious. Why line, that's why they line up for me. Right. You give them the old pencil, the pencil test. It doesn't lie, right? Home, hey, he'll hit it with the pencil. For those of you get, at get home who may line. not be experienced in the urinalysis analysis system. There's a thing called observed UA, of which Chuck and I are very familiar. So you watch a penis. You know, I haven't, honestly, I haven't done one in a year. Or yeah, oh, I haven't on, done Chuck, one in you years. Look all the time, I did. Right? I've seen. Well, the point being that I have seen thousands of penises pee into a cup. Woo. Right. Oh, God. And so now we're getting some. And there was a few. <laughs> yeah. There was a few because of size and length and kind of I don't know. That I just oh, thought might be fake. God. I might be fake. <laughs> but I was not interested <laughs> in confronting that fraud, if you understand what I'm saying. Oh, come on, with your homosexual <laughs> past just, and stuff? I'm well beyond that really? now. I just, I just like, if they can oh, go to all God. the trouble, yeah. Dave, if they can go to all the trouble of having a fake penis that comes out their zipper and then squirts out pee that's warm enough to not, because the cups, be, yeah, because the them, cups right? have heat sensitivity on them. So the pee had to be yes. at the right temperature. Like, right, Chuck? Do you have the do you have the pee sensitive cups? Well, of course. Yeah. Of so course I just I figured, think they I figured if they can keep <laughs> fake pee, fake clean pee warm enough to trick the cup, I don't want to confront the fake penis thing. Out of a realistic looking <laughs> penis too. Let him have it, right? That much trouble, yeah. you let him have it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so so if it looks like a fake penis, can you grab it and see if it, you know, like a wig or something? Like somebody <laughs> like a wig? Like well, pull Chuck, on it, pull Chuck on is it, saying he can off. smack it with a pencil. I love that. Yeah, that. I know. I heard that part. but, but So the point like, is that, yeah. uh, you know, the Chris I knew in 2004 could have beat that test. The older Chris, the PhD Chris, the Chris with everything, the Chris is five years sober, kind of sloppy, kind of lazy. He, he tests positive. That's, that's the debilitating process of sobriety right there. You just don't have a hustle that's anymore. Funny. <laughs> you can't know, even see, need a that, pee that, test. That's a good, 
but that's a good point because like serial killers start <laughs> with like taking somebody from a different state and burying them in another then they're burying them under their house when you get to that point where you're just that sloppy, you don't care you're you're in trouble you're in trouble i just I, I i just yeah it's so sad but i miss him and mike had mentioned it was the two-year anniversary seems like it was only a year ago time passes fast when you get older right it's fat it's fast and it's slow it, it feels like forever that i'm all i talk about is chris dying you know what i mean right. it's like the it's like but at the same time you know i listen to old episodes and it's like holy shit you know i was listening to an old episode today like people send me like suggestions of old episodes to listen to and i'm also putting together my own tribute for chris and i listen to us just joking around about stupid shit and we were so free and relaxed and having fun and like how could we be so fucking stupid that we're doing this show about drugs addiction and dumb shit we're both drug addicts that i don't see death like looming around every corner but i didn't see it right. i just didn't see it coming at all you know you never do you know uh, when we had all the deaths on celebrity rehab right and Dr. Drew was, you know, with each death, more, you know, kind of criticism of the show, more criticism of Dr. Drew. And we were sitting there, I don't know at what point, but it was like the fifth death. And, and I was sitting there with him and, and, and he goes, what are you thinking right now? I just kind of had a spaced out look on my head, on my face, I guess. And he, I said, dude, these are not even the people I expect to die. There's more people right. going to die. <laughs> and he goes, don't say that. And I go, you, you know, there's some people you expect to die and they do die. There's some people you expect to die and they don't die. There's some people you absolutely no way that I thought Rodney King is going to die. No way. Alcoholic, greatest, sweetest man. And, and he dies. And then Steven Adler's still trucking 10 years later, 15 right. years later. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. So the death thing, it is a mystery and it is kind of, and I always find it peculiar. When I went in 1988 to Hazelden the first time, I went back and looked, it was 1988. So they told me that I was going to die. And the likelihood that I would die of a drug overdose in 1988 was really slim and none. Right? right. In 1988, there were 3,642 opioid overdose deaths in America. 3,600 in all of America. Last year in 2019, there were 71,000 deaths. Right. right. So it's very likely that you die now. But why did they tell us that in 1988? I, I never, it's the same old punitive, scared straight, you know, kind of mentality. So, so since rehabs have been telling people they're going to die of drugs and the, and the likelihood that they would die of drugs was very low, once the likelihood that was high, like it is now in the last five, ten years, we just sound like the industry that cried wolf. Like nobody listens to Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Right? right? Do you feel that way, Chuck? A absolutely. I mean, that, that goes way back to when people told me if I smoked pot, I was going to go crazy. Yeah, go crazy. And we sat around what about to some Let's music, think of all the myths they told us real quick. I was told if I took LSD, I would be sterilized. I wouldn't be able to have children, which it seemed to me like, what a great way to get a vasectomy. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? But they told you take I get to trip and not have kids. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, uh, when I was taking LSD when I was like 17, I wasn't really <laughs> thinking about having kids. So why they use that 
Did you ever hear that one, Chuck? If you take LSD, it makes you sterile. No, I, I didn't. But I heard that if you if you took it three times, you'd be legally insane. So I couldn't wait to get to four, <laughs> so that I couldn't. They couldn't take me in the army because I would just say, hey, "Yeah, I was. I, I've done." I was told pot will make you schizophrenic, which I kind of felt like I was anyway. So I figured, what's the harm of it, right? There was no understanding of what schizophrenia is. It was just something my mom said to me. Bobby, if you ever smoke marijuana, you're going to become schizophrenic. And that, like, another scare tactic, right? I don't even know what schizophrenic is, but if it's a mental illness, I'm pretty sure I'm mentally ill, so I probably already have it anyways. I remember sitting in my bedroom thinking that, right? So then... um, you know, and it's a heroin, nightmare. Hero- that word is a spelling nightmare. Heroin, you're going to die or become a criminal. There was like a lot of things about you'll end up being a bank robber or you'll, you'll go to prison, like, right? So heroin was this really scary thing where you could die or you're going to become a prisoner in, in, in San Quentin, right? And then uh, cocaine was... Uh, when I was 17, 18, it was thought to be non-addictive, but it's still, they said, don't do it. Like it was a weird message about cocaine that really didn't get out correctly. Right. That's because most of the establishment was on cocaine and they didn't want to blow the cover. man. So cocaine always had a, a kind of thing, but then it was just snorting cocaine. Then when I got to Hollywood, everyone was shooting cocaine. That's when like, you don't need somebody to scare you about shooting cocaine. You're, it's kind of an instantaneous fear that bursts upon you. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. If it's it like natural. as soon as it hits your brain. I remember being, uh, we were shooting coke one time, and when you know you go like, this is the average thing. Like we would go back and forth so the other one would watch out for you. And I go, oh my god, dude. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's too much. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god, dude. And then you just feel like your head's exploding and you can't breathe and you're rushing, but it's pleasurable, but you're also scared. And uh, then that, look at Mike is reliving it right now. No, that's Chuck. <laughs> that you, Chuck? <laughs> I used to always, we used to always get the thing, you know, like, like, like the one guy, the one story you would hear would be the guy where his blood yeah, that was Greg hurt, burst in that his was brain, my friend. you know. But you get this fear, yeah. this fear, but also this overwhelming pleasure. And then it subsides in like 90 seconds. And then you're kind of, normal and so we would just do that and of course repetitive doing that makes you paranoid and creepy crawl and you know dave do you have do you have cocaine intravenous cocaine experience i do i do but uh for me it was like i had these drug dealers that lived in the apartment across the hall from me and like I think we made a lot of noise one night and they had to like leave and they asked me if they could set up in my apartment. Of course they can. I was like, definitely. I was like, like, definitely. So they had a safe in my apartment (laughs) full of like, you know, hydroponic weed. How great was that day when those guys moved in? How great. It was great. I also finally felt down. I, I'd been a Jewish guy on the outside of everything, and now I was totally down with the, <laughs> the Latino drug dealers on the block. They were like my boys. Nice. And, uh, and I remember like they had all this Coke, and everybody would say to me how great shooting Coke was. And I loved heroin and, and pills. I loved being down, and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to shoot Coke. And I, like, I, like, I don't know. I bought an eight ball of Coke, and I, was like, and I started shooting Coke, and I was like, I went 
crazy, but it didn't hit me in the good way. I, I'm neurotic enough. I was yeah, like, you fuck this. I, went, I, 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 I like got. A, I just went straight to Bushwick, bought heroin, and came home and speedballed the rest of it. Because shooting, and then L.A. I would shoot meth, and the same thing. I like used any kind of uppers just as an excuse to get pills and heroin because I'm naturally fucking up right. and crazy. You know? So there's all, Chris, all this. Chris lived for it. So, so he my lived point, for shooting. But think coke. of my point. All drugs had this scared straight mentality. Then rehab ad- adopted it. So your whole life, you're, they've been telling you, "Be scared, be scared. You're gonna die. You're gonna go insane. You're gonna be sterile. You're, you know, you're gonna be schizophrenic." And none of those things happen. So why would you believe? You know, when they were finally telling you, like, this is really dangerous, guys. You know, and the whole don't die thing. I think they know it because they're losing so many people. I mean, these people that are dying every seven, around every every seven seven minutes, minutes, right? There's a drug addict. I want everyone at home to hear that. There's a drug addict dies of an overdose in America every seven minutes. Chuck did the math. It's 195 a day. Yeah, yeah. every Last seven year. minutes. Eight every, eight every hour. The, the, let's just stick to the things we know. Suicide, drug overdoses, death, drugs, criminology, criminal positive. behavior, yeah. recovery, the miracle of recovery, the miracle of the, the 12 mir- steps, the healing process of the 12 steps. All and the friendships that, that come with that, huh? like my my favorite, the friendships that come along with it, like the fact that I, I my favorite thing or my wife's favorite thing that she plays every once in a while just to make herself smile is Dave and Chris doing the um, Chili song. Mm. It just makes her so happy, and it's so it's so good. Oh my god, I, I, I <laughs> Dave, do you remember Chuck's reaction when I said I love Dopey? That was two. That was when Chris was alive, so like three years ago, right? And Dave, Chuck was not happy. Uh, with Chuck, you. Chuck was like, I don't like that show, and his wife likes the show, so it was like, <laughs> do you know the story, right? Yeah. And now Chuck has become story. a devotee of Dopey. Well, I. I I, I represent Dopey everywhere I go. But remember, I, remember I, I when I brought everywhere. it up, you were like, I don't like that. I don't like it. Celebrates drugs. Well, yeah, you go. You, I go, you're going to do what? <laughs> you're you're going to talk to them? Uh, oh, my God. Why would you do that? But that's another, you know, um, contempt prior to investigation thing, there too. There you go. And, and I suffer from that in sobriety. It, I, I, it, even at 52 years old, I'm coming up on 53 in like a month and a half. And it's just like, when am I going to grow up and just take things as they are without being judgmental up front? I'm a, I'm a grumpy old man and I, and I'm a music snob, like we were talking about, but not as bad as these guys, Dave. You wouldn't stand a chance. <laughs> these guys are snobs. No matter who you like, they suck. They oh, make- that's not true. Dude, I, but I, <laughs> I, I like live for contempt prior to investigation. Like I don't know where I would be without contempt prior to investigation. Um, but I think the thing about us is that you, you, Chuck, you probably imagined us as being some big bad cool heroin addicts, not these goofballs singing the Chili's theme song. And I mean, and that all that all came because I wanted Chris, I wanted Chris to sing the token song, "The Lion Sleeps Tonight." And uh, I was doing the Wimbaway part, or I, I had Chris doing the Wimbaway part, but he wouldn't, he couldn't do it. Chris was like the least musical person in the world, and he couldn't sing the Wimbaway part. And I, and so like he just kept fucking it up. And then I was like, why don't we try the Chili song? And uh, 
that's that was the best part about the show. It was just to make each other laugh, and and it, and it was it was beautiful. You know, that was and the it's best. Genuine, the genuine friendship comes through when you can let down your guard and just be goofy with someone, which is all we ever really wanted to do was be happy and laugh. We wanted to feel good. I mean, that's the biggest talk I have with so many clients that are itching to leave. I go, I get it. You want to feel good. It doesn't feel good right now. And we want to feel good. And, we, you know, as long as we can bring that, that to show them that, you know, if, if it, you're down the road, it's going to get better the, and it's going to be the, okay. But it takes action. So through the years, you know, I never paid much attention to some of the slogans because they didn't really seem to matter. When I got into AA in the early 90s, really, um, everybody laughed all the time. It was so fun and full of life. So the we're not a glum lot didn't need to be mentioned. And in the last 10 years, I mentioned it almost very frequently because everything's so serious and everything's so self-helpy and everything's so important and when you were using you were so bad and now you're so good and it's just it's like a guy, you gotta fucking take <laughs> some fucking wind mess. out of your fucking sails like jesus like it's just it's so fucking annoying it's but it's like the left eating itself it's the same thing it's very it's similar like when addicts, it's very similar when addicts stop being funny and stop like laughing at themselves. It's like, who the fuck do you think you are in the first place? You know what I mean? It's it's ridiculous right. to me. It makes me <laughs> sick. I fucking hate that shit more than anything. You know, I really do. Like that's the whole like. Well, like what are we doing? So when I've know? been to, so when I've been to New York, when I first tried to get sober, and I, and I was in New York, and I was sober. If I was playing a show, there was that clubhouse on St. Mark's. And people were crazy in there. It was so funny and fun and violent. It was violent and people were ODing <laughs> in the bathroom. Remember that, Dave? Were you at that clubhouse on St. Mark's? I, I, w I was a teenager walking past it, looking up at it, thinking like, this is the end of the world and it's very exciting. You know what I mean? I looked at me, it looked to me like some like ship. I always looked at it like it was a boat with all those weird windows yeah, on yeah, the side of it. Windows. I was like, I was like, I was like, what's going on in there? Because I grew up middle class Jewish at a fucking school for gifted youngsters. I was not in that dangerous world. And yet I was always on St. Mark's and I'd be like, who are these people? And then like 10 years later, I was one of them. Some of the, like, some of the, <laughs> some of the coolest human beings on earth were in that oh, yeah. building. Right? Yes. Howie, Howie Pyro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just amazing people. All the Andy Warhol people and... and musicians and you know i guess he's passed now we can say i went there one time uh with a guy from the record company he said you want to go to a meeting because then i became that guy that every time somebody sees you they want to go to a meeting that's like torturous like i and uh <laughs> i got just walking down the street and i caught up with this old record company guy that i knew from rca and he's like what are you doing and i said oh i'm just you know going around he goes there's a meeting around the corner let's go and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. How did I? I was just out <laughs> shopping in New York City. Well, how did I end up there? <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> how did this happen, right? <laughs> and so we go there. I'm not going to say who it now was. you're asking for an hour of my life. I'll say who it was, but I'll just do the intro. I'm Lou, your, your alcoholic secretary. Hi, Lou. Right? When the coolest people on earth that are full of life and full of anger and full of 
humor and full of uh, kind of trying to overcome their demons and and embrace a kind of more positive way of life, that's attractive. When you walk into that same room now, I'm sure you hear, you got to do this, you got to do that. There's no sense of humor. There's no, you know, the, when I would go to the meeting down by the, the Holland Tunnel, people would throw chairs. Like people with 30 years would throw chairs at people. Like It's still a mess over there, yeah, though. But you know like what I'm pre saying? Pre-COVID, it's still a mess over there. People with 30 years sobriety are telling people to <laughs> shut up and throwing chairs across the room. That's, that's, that's appealing to drug addicts. Those are your people but at midnight. It's Midnight's your meeting. They're always our people, aren't they? That's who Definitely. we are. And then you realize, like, oh, my God, I could be that angry and that much of an asshole and stay sober. That's the message I always got from those guys, that there are no excuses. Mm -hmm. Because a rehab tells you, oh, if you get too angry, you're going to use. You're going to use. If you get too angry, you're going to use. I heard that in rehab a million times in this scare tactic to get me to deal with my anger. At that clubhouse in, in New York City on the uh, way down by the tunnel, whatever it's called, Midnight Mad. What's the name of that clubhouse? Midnight, midnight. Midnight. At midnight, I was told the truth, which is you can be as angry as you want. Just don't fucking use. Right? Exactly. And so so I just want I hope that, the, uh, that AA can come back and be more full of life. But right now... I, I don't think AA is in a good place. And I don't think the Zoom meetings are doing anything for it either. Right? I've been on a bunch of Zoom meetings. I just want to leave after 15 minutes, don't you? The Zoom meetings are, are brutal for me. I, 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 but I go, to a, I go to an in-person meeting. Where do they have in-person meetings? I go to this beach meeting at 8 in the mm -hmm. morning uh, on the, in, you know, I'm in, in Long you Island. You all wear no, it's a what the fuck? No, it's only like five. It's only like five or no, six. No, dude, it's right like a there. fucking hundred people. Oh They're all Republicans, oh, and they don't you, wear masks. Oh, it's fucked up. Oh, my God. But it's a great meeting. That's the funniest thing. The funniest thing is I used to go to like the bougiest, most liberal gay meeting on Fifteenth Street in the beautiful church, and all the deacons' paintings are looking down at you, and you feel like you're in trading places or something. And now I go to this Republican. Republican meeting on the beach in Long Island with a bunch of fuckos like from Bensonhurst and you hear the same thing that's the beauty of AA like you can have the most Republican meeting or the most bougie meeting like I was the straightest guy in the meeting on 15th street now I'm the gayest guy <laughs> in Blue Point and it's still the same fucking message it's pretty amazing and that, you know, I love it and that message is progress not perfection I'm assuming you know, it's like it's like shit. Shit's tough. Do your best. Fucking carry on. You know uh, what I mean? You could start a cult with that theme. Shit's tough. Oh, yeah. Let's just let's. What did you say? Shit's <laughs> tough. Carry on. Do your best. Do your best. Carry, carry on. on. Yeah. That's a new. There you that's go. a new motto. I'm gonna make a shirt that says that. Shit's tough. Right, Do well, your best. Carry <laughs> on. <laughs> Right? <laughs> isn't that how you isn't? Yeah, isn't that the whole thing, Bob? I mean, isn't that the whole thing? I never wrong. realized, but I that really does consent. You know, concentrate it down to like six words, one sentence. 
I, uh, wow, I feel very honored. Thank you. Wow. This is good. This is a good moment no, for me. No, I just had an epiphany. Well, That's Because I can go on and on about, yeah, you do the best you can or whatever, and sometimes fucked up shit happens and you react to it well, and sometimes not that big a deal happens and you react to it badly. I can pontificate about shit's tough. Do your best. Carry on. <laughs> Dude, right. that's my new motto. Nice. It's, Very good. It's tough. Do your best. Carry on. I think we could end it I, at I, that. I, that. That is a message for the whole United States of America. This might be the best day of my life, Bob. Thank that's you very much. <laughs> Shit's tough. Do your best. Carry on. I'm going to name a church after you, Dave. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to get it as Mike, a tattoo. And Mike, you, I have to, you have to call this episode. Shit's tough. Do your best. Carry on. <laughs> well, of course That's, I will. <laughs> are you not as, Chuck, do you not like that slogan as much as I do? Uh, I, I, I love it. I think it's good. I, I like it a lot. I'm there. You know why I like it? it? Because it's negative. It's not like life is wonderful. No, shit's tough. (laughs) Do your best. Carry on. Get on with it. Get fucking on with it. It's a a nicer way of saying suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) But uh, it's right there. Shit's tough. But do your best is very positive. Do your best. Come on. Do your best. So shit's tough. Very, very bleak comment. Shit's tough. Do your best. Carry on. Optimism. It's it's like uh, I know. I, I love that. It's like Buddhism. It's, dude. But that it's is like, Zen it's Buddhism, like Buddhism, right there. That, that Leonard, some... you, we're going to find out. Dave didn't say that. Leonard Cohen did. You heard it from Leonard Cohen. <laughs> How dare you, Bob? Are you kidding me? This is just coming off the top over here. <laughs> Shit, Jeff. Do your best. Carry on. I'm going to say that all day tomorrow. Good. Good. Bring, put in the aloe literature. I'm going to go tell Elvis uh, that right now. Yeah. That, that's, I'm t- my daughter, fucking, I'm talking to you about the time I shot Coke, okay, yeah. in this thing. I look over, my 10-year-old daughter is standing right here with one hand has a bunny and one hand has a piggy. She's ta- hearing me telling, telling you guys about shooting Coke. I'm like, Nora, get the fuck downstairs. Carry on. Just stop. Do your best. Carry on. Go. But like, Dad, hey, yeah. listen, shit's tough. Do your best. Carry, carry on. on carry on. Carry on. on. All right. Well, thank you, Dave, and dinner. love to Chris and love to everybody. And I think that's a perfect way to end it. Thank you. And uh, Dave, on Thursday, everybody's going to put the uh, dopey over their eyes and post pictures of themselves. This is the thing. Friday is dopey day. Friday. And we're all, and except for Bob, because Bob's not on social media. I, Bob, I posted a picture of you the other day. I'm going to do it. I posted for him. a picture of you I'm in your honor it. the other day on oh, uh, really? dopey stories. Just. Yeah, I can't. I'm just. I'm probably just um, holding out till after the election. It's too. It's too. Too much. Too. Too tense right now. You can't say anything, dude. You're doing the right. I support you. You're doing the right thing. But yeah, everybody, if you're listening and you hear this, fucking put a dopey logo over your eyes to show solidarity for Chris and addicts and end the stigma and all that good stuff. End the stigma. We did that the other day with your little app. Here's the thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, end the stigma and let's remember our dearly departed addicts who died of overdoses as much as we remember anybody else, our grandmas or anybody else. We're all the same. People passed away. It doesn't matter whether they passed away at their own hand or it's God's hand. You know what I'm saying? I'm so sick of the stigma about drug overdose death. I'm sick of it. So, you know, shit's tough. (laughs) 
Do your best and carry on. All right, you guys. See you later. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you guys so much. Thank Thank you. you. Bye bye.